The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Great. Welcome. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is David Cruz of the Economic and Business Development Council, who is has has taken a pro position on Proposition 22, which is probably the biggest, probably the biggest measure on the ballot, at least in terms of spending and media coverage. And David, thank you very much for being here. We just wanted to chat about it. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Happy to be here. We've been talking a little bit earlier about the um, labor management-related issues in Proposition uh, 22. How do you see Proposition 22 as a who – is, who is against who? What is the struggle over Proposition 22? Is it organized labor and business? Is it uh, economic development? What, what do you think it is? Well, the reason I got involved in this – entire campaign of Yes on 22 is because I see it as workers who are becoming, again, a pawn in a power play. And the play is this. They're the low-hanging fruit. They're easy to get to. Uh, They are primarily coming out of communities of color. And labor sees an opportunity here. And normally, I would sit on the same side of the table with labor. I've been a civil rights activist for most of my adult life. I've been a member of the League of United Latin American Citizens for 44 years. And in this particular battle, though, they don't bring anything to the table. In fact, they will be taking away from the drivers. And here's why. Yes on 22, to me, is about saving jobs. How many jobs can we save in California for the greatest number of people? If Yes on 22 fails, the alternatives are very uncertain. One thing we do know, though, and I've been in touch with many of the app-based businesses, they're not going to be forced into taking on to their payrolls, what, 950,000 drivers? That's simply not going to happen. All projections indicate that at best, they may keep 100 to 110,000 to begin, that means that one in 10 drivers will get what Lorena Gonzalez, the author of AB5, calls the golden ticket. What happens to the rest? And it's that concern to me for the other drivers who are getting left out that says, you know, I'm sick and tired of people in Sacramento making deals with special interests and then dictating to the market what the market needs to do. I don't think that's the way to advance a business and economic industry as important to California as this one is. That's why I'm here. Well, well, David, I do have one question on that. So uh, I get what you're saying, and I I understand the argument there. But my understanding of this is that this has been to court multiple times. And as I understand it, the court has decided repeatedly – that the app-based companies are in violation of labor law, of existing labor law. And this was before AB5 and before Lorena Gonzalez, you know, wrote AB5. So can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, I I certainly understand the concern about losing jobs, but I also think there's a real concern about protecting workers. And I'm just not sure 
what the argument is there. I mean, I do understand you don't want to lose jobs. You don't want to have people not able to work. But I also think that you have to maintain some protections that, according to the courts so far, uh, are not being protected currently. Well, I don't want to answer a question with a question, but I would ask this question of the audience. Do you, do I feel like I'm exploiting a worker when I take Uber or Lyft? I usually tip 30%. I don't say that to brag. I respect who they are and what they do. But last time I checked, nobody came to me. I don't think they came to you. I don't think they came to the voters of California when AB5 was passed. And by the way, the model for the app-based businesses, it's really a response to a demand that the public is making. Look, during this pandemic right now, they're not just carrying people from here to there. They're also delivering medicine. They're delivering food. They're they're taking things to people that are essential to their well-being. So not to move away from the question, the core question, but look, I'm not an attorney, never played one on TV. Here's what I can tell you. <laughs> there was a deal made. There was a deal made in Sacramento that left us out of it. So what is the fear by people who oppose 22 to finally put this before the voters of California? Everything else except what's on that ballot is a moot point. Everything else, every, well, this isn't uh, left out. This is not exclusive. It's not excluded explicitly, etc. It's I've heard it all. None of that is on the ballot. What is on the ballot is this. Who should decide when a driver works, where he or she works, who they can go pick up, what deliveries do they want to make? Those are the kinds of decisions that the drivers are telling me, and that's why I'm here. I don't have a part in this race other than I'm a consumer, and I live in California, and I pay a tax. And so I feel like we should be listening to the people most impacted. And as small business owners that my council is comprised of, we care about this because it is important that we be allowed to run our business the way we see fit and keep Sacramento out of our pockets because that's really what this is about. David, don't you think the companies are on the hook to provide benefits for people who work for them in the same way that employees, however defined, work for companies? That's a loaded question, and you're asking it really in a model that was created from the beginning, created from the beginning. Look, I'm a small business owner. A customer walks into my door. Are they obligated to provide me with health care? Are they obligated to provide me with sick leave? Are they obligated to provide me with vacation? No. Here's what they're doing with me. They're doing the transaction. I have a business. I run it to the best of my God-given ability. I make a profit, and then my expenses come out of that profit. I'm given certain advantages in the tax code that I can take, again, to offset my expenses. Here's what you're doing, and not and not to go after you guys, but, but that question comes from the position of, like, they changed the rules after the game started. No, the people changing the rules are the people who are opposed to 22 because it simply affirms the contract that was made from the beginning. And here's the contract. Consumers want a convenient, easily accessible, affordable service. And all of that is being threatened by this trying to force companies to hire people, put them on their payroll, because some, very few, say, well, I'm sleeping in my car. Well, you know, maybe this is not the job for you. Maybe you ought to try something else. And that's not to be heartless, 
But if I have a deal with a client and it's not working for me, guess what I do? I drop the client. I go find me another client. That's the reality of the of the world that we're in right now. And so, no, I don't think this is about the companies are, are failing to provide. Look, yes, if Lorena has her wish, if Lorena has her way, one-tenth of the workers are going to get the golden ticket. Everybody else gets a walk. I'd rather keep everybody or as many as I can working, and then we keep negotiating with these companies to try and continue to improve their benefits. Well, I mean, I get where you're coming from. But again, to go back to the same question, that is implying that this is all stemming from AB5, and the courts before AB5 had already found that the app companies were not correctly classifying the workers and that these workers actually should be classified as employees. And that's not from AB5. That's not from Lorena Gonzalez. That's from existing, pre-existing labor law. And so there's my question. So I guess we're all, acce- I think, I think we're all accessories to a crime then. Is that, is that what you're implying? Is that, is that what that question is implying? Because then I guess I'm using a service that's breaking the law. Is that what I'm doing? Is that what every other consumer I is believe, doing in California? Uh, you know, I, I, I have to say like you, I'm I mean, not think a lawyer or a legal expert, but I sure, I have seen quite a few examples where this has been decided in the courts and in fact it's been put off and i think in fact i think in the last week there was yet another court decision saying that that uber and lyft and and doordash etc are in violation of current violations so let's do the following we're we're literally on the doorstep of the election let the voters of california speak if they say no that's feedback. If they say yes, that's feedback. And ultimately, somewhere between that vote and the courts, this thing is going to be resolved. Right now, what I'm here to talk about is yes on 22. I can't go into the legal matter. I'm not a party to that. But I am a party to using the service, and I'm glad it's there. And I'm glad the drivers are able to supplement their income. And I'm glad that they're able to decide for themselves how they want to work and where they want to work and with whom. That's what we're here to talk about, guys. I mean, Yes on 22 is not about the court matter. It is about the voters of California being asked to make a decision. That's true. The uh, One of the issues that came up during the campaign, you know, aside from the spending, which has been stratospheric, but one of the issues that came up was public statements about Uber, Lyft, others possibly, leaving the state if they don't win the ballot measure. I know you don't work for Uber, and you don't work for Lyft, but uh, you are yes on Prop on 22, and I'm wondering how you how you view that. Is that a logical, r- realistic threat? Is it political theater? How do you see that? Well, this is only my opinion. I certainly don't speak for the company, and I don't want to, in some way, present the official view of the yes on 22. I'm just a guy who is part of a volunteer civil rights organization. I think they have every right to make a decision what's in their best interest. Look, if you make the model so expensive for them to operate that the value paradigm shifts and changes and disappears, why shouldn't they go elsewhere? Why shouldn't they be allowed to run their company the way they think it's best suited? We're not talking public money here. We're talking a private entity that now has investors that's going out there into the marketplace trying to maximize its profit. And so 
they have the right to make those kinds of decisions. Some will say, well, they're just, you know, hollering wolf and they're not going to do it. What guarantee is there that they won't do it? You see, that's the thing I alluded to at the beginning. This thing about, well, it's just a smokescreen, they won't really do it, it dissuades people from taking a position right now. That is a false promise being made from people who are no on 22 because they fear that if the voters speak out, they're going to be drowned out. I tell you this, labor should be bringing something to the table that's of value to the workers. If they were, if they had, I'd be sitting with them. But they haven't, and they're not. And in the absence of that, California could lose, what, 800,000 jobs? Who's, who's willing to take the hit on that? Because that can happen. And if they do it, there's no crime in them leaving. That's going to be their business decision. Well, one of the arguments that Uber and Lyft has made is that the majority of the people that work for them, I think the, the number I've seen is something like 80%, are very, very part-time. So of those 800,000 jobs, how many of those are actual jobs, uh, full-time jobs or even close to full-time jobs? Do you have any sense of that? Here's what I have read. And again, there will be people who will dispute the numbers. But all I can do is share the data I've seen and that we evaluated because we took a vote within our council before we took a position. 80% of the workers, 80% work fewer than 20 hours. But at the threshold of even 15 hours a week, they get half the stipend for their health care. If they do cross that threshold and go to 25 hours a week, they get 100% of the stipend that they can use if they wish for health care or other expenses. That's $367.50 a month. And that's within, that's written into Prop 22, you're saying? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The other thing that's written into Prop 22 is a $1 million a policy that should you become injured on the job, you get uh, uh, health expenses paid up to a million dollars. If you become disabled because of an accident while you're working on the job, get this, you get 66% of the lost income, not from one app, all the apps that you're using at the time that that accident happens. So it isn't like if these people are out there driving, absolutely being left to fend for themselves. Now, Are these new benefits? Yes, they are. Could they have been presented before? Well, you know, some would say yes. I'm just glad they're here. If 22 doesn't pass, nothing in AB5, and I know you say that's not the only thing that affects this decision, there is nothing in place right now for them. So 22 provides an improvement, and I think that's the way we move forward as a state, by getting them to continue to improve the model. Do you have any thoughts about the... um language in Proposition 22 that requires a seven-eighth vote of the legislature, both Yes, houses. I do. What do you think? I th- Well, look, it's been slammed and presented as if it's going to put us in a no-change, no-win situation. That is absolutely not true. Here's what is true. Under California's Constitution, no statute passed by initiative of the voters, can be changed after it's been voted upon and passed. That's it. That's what's in the law. The fact that they made it seven-eighths leaves us an opportunity to come back and improve it. But yes, it's going to require lawmakers and the voters to agree on what those changes ought to be. Something that they did not do when they first crafted AB5 
which is why they've had to carve out now more than a hundred category exceptions to that particular measure. So seven-eighths to me, it does make it serious, but it also shows this is a serious issue. It should not be taken lightly. And by golly, if the voters of California say we want yes on 22, then Sacramento politicians shouldn't just automatically dismiss us. If you have a seven-eighths vote on anything, my experience has been, and after many years in Sacramento, if you set the hurdle that high, uh, as opposed to, say, 50 plus one, a simple majority, two-thirds is very, very, has been, not now, but has been over many years, very difficult to reach. Uh, setting it at seven-eighths, it seems to me a public statement that you want this locked in cement and you don't want to have to come back and do another campaign three years down the road or five years down the road. You want to make it inviolate. The passage of this Well, isn't that the way Sacramento is behaving right now? You know, it may look, be a simple look at majority the way Sacramento is behaving right now. They've got a supermajority. Are they listening to the voters? It may take a supermajority to pass something in the legislature, but a supermajority up to now is, is two-thirds. Now we have a super-duper majority of seven-eighths that may, if Proposition 22 is passed, I, the latest numbers I saw, it's pretty close with it leading. It is leading. It may be passed by 2 or 3% and set a bar relative, really impossible to reach, I think. My experience has been in the legislature to reach a bar that high. I mean, I can't, I, honestly, I can't fault the app companies. I mean, if I, if I was them, I would want to get my law passed and not really have it be sure. messed around with. By, so, so it's hard. I mean, as a, as a voter, I understand why the 7-8s uh, change requirement. It's, it's concerning because if there is some unseen problem, unforeseen problem, it's going to be really hard to get that fixed. But I can't blame the app companies for doing that because, of course, they don't want they don't want to spend $210 million or whatever it is passing their own law and then have have the legislature basically gut that. So I, it's hard for me to argue. Yeah. I, I mean, I think as policy, it's not good, but I can understand why it exists, you know, from their point of view. Well, a couple of points, guys, and, and I appreciate that, you know, you're looking at it from multiple facets. If the amount of money being spent is any kind of a measure of merit or need, then uh, this ought to tell you that this is one of the most significant economic issues California has ever decided. But we are seeing an exodus of companies leaving the state. And this argument that, well, you know, we're going to keep it as a state that just has these kinds of jobs. I I, I always keep coming back to the basic. For whom? What happens to the rest of us? Look, this is not any more. This is not any longer a situation of the people at the top get everything, the people at the bottom get nothing. No, there's a whole carve out now of people who are being protected with special side deals, and they get that golden ticket. And let me tell you, Lorena is an example of that. She says, well, I've been a labor activist all my life. Yeah, but you're also making, what, three, 400000 a year now with your husband's income together. I mean, you're, you're, you're living in what we call tall cotton back home in Texas where I'm from. So, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of hard to, to say I'm here to represent the people when you're that deep into the income stream and you're stacking pensions and things like that. That's the kind of stuff that really, really motivated me to come out and just invite the voters, read the language in 22. Let's keep as many jobs here as we can because, by golly, 
these are tough times, and we need to keep people employed. That's it. You know, when you see uh, price tags that high, uh, as you mentioned, there's, there's a real need for something. When you see people, companies' interest spending that much money, I looked at some of the others that we've had before. Um, one of them was a, a repeal of the, uh, or blocking an oil severance tax. And of course, petroleum industry was against that. That was like $154 million approximately. $150 million approximately. Uh, the, re- the referendums on casino uh, uh, Indian tribal gaming packs is 155 approximately. Uh, now, is that just one side, been, John, or is that both sides? That was a group. No, no, that was both sides. That's as a group, but the over- overwhelming majority was, the, was spent by the tribes who wanted to make sure that that referendum was approved. So there are lots of special interest money going around in California, and it's always been a fact of life out here. I could go back 20 years. We can talk about it. It's just amazing. But the thing about Prop 22 was the level of spending on a single measure. I, I checked this morning. It's $218 million now. Whoa. So it's it's just stratospheric. So I, I guess but, my but takeaway wait, from wait, that wait, is there's let me a ask lot you a question. Here. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Let me ask you a question. Where's that money going? Think about it. That money has gone to television stations, radio stations, oh, yeah. small businesses, medium businesses. Look, let's be very clear. That ought to give us a reason to be joyful because guess what? They plowed all that money right back into our economy. Why are they being painted as the villain here, as the adversary? You know, those stations are joyful. Let me tell you. It's it's amazing. You know what's funny is uh, I remember years ago talking to someone about why there was this big fight to have Iowa and some of the early states that do the um, the early primaries. And, you know, in places like that, like in Iowa and New Hampshire, the campaign spending... Every four years where they're coming in and doing these early primaries, that's a significant part of their entire state's functioning income. So you you may have a a future lobbying for Iowa Iowa to keep their their early uh, decider states status. Um, We wish we had campaign advertising, but it ain't working. I have to say, you know, to be completely clear, uh, Capital Weekly has gotten zero advertising yeah. dollars for or against Prop 22, at least so far. So, uh, Not that we haven't tried. There's, <laughs> there's a week left. So who knows? Somebody made $100,000. <laughs> uh, well, guys, look, next time you do a fund drive, I'll be happy to support you because I think you guys do tr- terrific work. But seriously, uh, coming back to the issue of the future of California and why these companies have done this. Look, I can't speak for the companies themselves, but I will tell you what my commitment is post-22, no matter what happens. I want to go back and sit down with these companies, and here's what my commitment and that of my LULAC council is. I Look, thank God they have jobs for drivers. I want the next generation of kids to learn how to become the engineers and the designers of these companies. That's what I want to see. And that's what I'm going to work toward as as an after uh, commitment, if you will, of 22, no matter how it goes. Because I do believe that companies that profit from our communities, all of them, ought to be investing into the education of our children. And that's where I stand on that issue. That's why once we get past this election, it's important that we continue to dialogue with these companies because nobody wins if we're not talking and trying to find out what's the best way forward. Okay, fair enough. David Cruz, thank you very much for joining us today. Tim Foster, thank you very much. It's been my joy. And this is John Howard saying we'll see you next time around.